The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five. It's five. Stocks kicking off a new month of trading on the wrong foot. Futures right now slipping ahead of the opening bell, and results from names like Uber, Caterpillar, and more. AMD also up on deck. Around the world here. Investors on Asia on edge ahead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan later on this week. You comments from the White House and Beijing this morning. A top and bottom line miss, not stopping shares of Pinterest from surging double digits right now in the pre-market. Why investors are piling in on the social media stock today. Plus, yet another domino falls in the crypto sector crisis. This time, an over $300 million global Ponzi scheme. And then later on, no longer Joe Manchin, the new make-or-break senator when it comes to the Senate's big $739 billion tax and spending bill. She's in Arizona. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick off this Tuesday with U.S. stock futures because they are down. It's red. You can see the Dow Jones implied lower by roughly 143 points. The S&P down by 27 at the opening bell. And the Nasdaq down by 100 points. Mostly lowest session to start the month. (coughs) Excuse me. With all the major averages snapping three-day win streaks in the bond market right now. Yields are moving. We are seeing a slight bit of downside here to the 10-year Treasury note yield. 2.557 2.557 right now. So we've seen a real collapse. Remember, 3.48% was the cycle high. Two-year Treasury note yields just about 2.86% as well. So there's still an inversion in play. We'll keep an eye on that. Also watching what's happening right now with energy prices. Oil is, again, well off the highs that we've seen over the last couple of months. And it's slipping again today in trading. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude, $93 and 43 cents. That's off about one half of 1%. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures down about 71 cents, $99.32 the last trade there, off about three quarters of 1% as well. And over in cryptocurrencies, keeping a close eye on Bitcoin prices because they're slipping, but they're still holding in the trading range that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Bitcoin prices currently 22,808, so now below the 23,000 mark. Ether prices have been an underperformer over the last couple of days, underperforming again today, $1,579.29. So we'll keep an eye on some of those smaller altcoins and tokens as well. Around the world, red arrows overnight in Asia and a rough session shaping up for Europe right now as well. Jumana Bersecchi is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest. Good morning, Jumana. 
Morning to you, Dom. Well, the theme is geopolitical tension. News that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi may be paying a trip to Taiwan has really rattled overnight investors. You can see behind me pretty much all of these indices are trading deeply in the red. The Shanghai Composite in China down 2.3 percentage points. Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 2.4 percentage points with a lot of the tech names getting hit, the likes of some of the chip makers in Taiwan obviously getting impacted as well. Nikkei in Japan down 1.4. The only tiny spot of green that we're seeing is on the Australian index. And remember, we had the RBA hike by 50 basis points yesterday uh, overnight as well. So that's uh, had a positive effect on the Australian index. As for European markets, the picture here is also pretty negative as well. We've got the Cacarante in France down half a percentage point. Germany down six tenths of a percentage point. I know that you're keeping a close eye on what's been happening with the European gas situation. Well, gas prices continue to move higher clearly has knock-on effects for the German economy and the German index. But the one spot of green, or I should say the second spot of green, is the British index. The UK is up about a tenth of a percentage point, namely because we've got some really strong results out of the oil and gas companies today is BP. So let me just tell you what uh, BP have reported. You can see the stock is up 3.7%. A quarterly profit, which has surged to the highest level in almost 14 years, at 8.5 billion pounds. Now, the British energy giant's earnings boost comes on the back of stronger refining margins and trading volumes, both of which have been spurred by rising oil prices. BP is also hiking its dividends by 10% to 6 cents and ramping up <clears throat> excuse me, its share buyback program. So all of this uh, is, is one of the reasons why the FTSE 100 is doing so well. It's trading right at the top of that index. But I, I know, Dom, on your show, you tend to keep a close eye on what's been happening with these oil and gas companies. And over the past couple of sessions, we've had really, really strong results out of BP, Chevron, Shell, Exxon, all of them posting record profits because of those higher oil prices. So definitely a theme to watch, and we're watching very closely here in Europe. Absolutely, Joanna, for sure. Big oil, very much a big focus here because of those prices. Thank you very much for the update. We'll see you soon. Let's stick now with the overseas action and the new geopolitical risks for investors. The White House late yesterday calling out Beijing's heated rhetoric over House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's planned trip to Taiwan this week. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the decision is ultimately Pelosi's to make and members of Congress have routinely visited Taiwan in past years, but that's not doing very much to calm any nerves around the world right now. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the latest there. Eunice. Thanks so much, Dom. Well, Speaker Pelosi was in Malaysia today meeting with the prime minister, but the expectations are very high that she will show up in Taiwan. A Taiwan media reporting that her delegation will arrive at around 10.20 p.m. tonight. That's about five hours from now. Though there are other reports that suggest that they could actually arrive early on Wednesday. Now, Taiwan news outlets uh, said that they've been able to piece together uh, Pelosi's agenda, saying that she's going to be meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday. She would visit other government officials and discuss human rights with local activists, as well as those who have come from Hong Kong. Now, Beijing sees Pelosi's visit as an affront and a challenge to the country, to this country, uh, because it believes that uh, Taiwan is part of China and that her visit is an affront to the national sovereignty. Now, Taiwan, today, the foreign ministry repeated that China would take firm and powerful measures and that the U.S. would pay the price. Uh, Taiwan officials say that uh, Chinese fighter jets 
have uh, um, come very, very close to Taiwan, to the median line of the Taiwan Straits. The island is on high alert. And as China conducts military exercises, not only off the coast, the mainland coast near Taiwan, but also in the South China Sea. A state media here in China today quoted a military expert as saying that the military is preparing for all scenarios, including a local conflict turning into a comprehensive confrontation. Dom? Eunice, I, I, I wonder, you mentioned some of the, the, the military actions being taken from the Chinese side of things. We, we can only assume that Taiwan and its military is prepping on the same side of things with theirs. Is there any, is there any de-escalation scenario right now with regard to the military side of things? Or, or can we expect to see these exercises continue from China's front only to be met by perhaps exercises from Taiwan and its allies, maybe even the U.S. at this point. What exactly needs to happen for this to, to, to not become a, a, a real kind of tinderbox? Well, from China's perspective, uh, what would help is if Pelosi did not show up in Taiwan. But if she does, um, it's unclear exactly what they would do. But I think it's safe to say that there would have to be some strong show of force of saber rattling, saber rattling uh, by Beijing, mainly because Beijing has to message and show it's, that it's standing up against the bad Americans to the domestic audience. Um, her visit is coming at a really sensitive time. As you could imagine, uh, President Xi is heading into a political reshuffle later this year. Um, a lot of people are wondering whether or not he's going to get an unprecedented third term, so he has to show that he is a very tough person. Um, in addition to the political pressure, we'll likely see, or potentially could see, economic pressure, since we're already seeing signs of that today. In fact, the Chinese government said that they are exporting, or they're banning exports from 100 Taiwan food suppliers. Now, the customs officials say that it's because of problems with the documentation for imports, but most people see this as a move uh, linked to Pelosi's visit. All right, Eunice Yoon with the, with the latest from Beijing. Thank you very much for that. Now let's turn back to the markets and the U.S. futures following Asia's lead and Europe's lead lower, pointing to back-to-back -back losses for the major averages to start the month of August. Those new tensions with China adding yet another headwind for stocks in 2022. Not just stocks, but markets overall. Joining me now is Grace Capital founder and CEO Kate Faddis. Uh, uh, Kate, you, you just heard Eunice's report of course, those geopolitical tensions are going to weigh on markets. But let's be frank, right now, this is still very much a wait and see. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 140 points. It's hardly like the sky is falling. What exactly are markets trying to figure right right now, given what's happening with the China and Taiwan situation? Uh, uh, thank you for having me. I think what the market is trying to figure out is, is there another shoe to drop? Okay, we've had a lot of bad news this year, which the market has absorbed. Okay, to recap, we've had COVID, supply chain, China lockdown, war in Ukraine, almost double-digit inflation, oil price, European energy, Fed rate hikes, potential recession. What is the next shoe to drop? I, I'm hoping this is not it. Uh, war, war with Taiwan. So I, I think so long as we don't have another major thing to drop, the market could be in a trading range. So, 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 Kate, I mean. It, it this it, that implies that you, that you feel like all of those things that you reeled off the laundry list of of negative catalysts 
is already now reflected in the stock price in the current market right now. Is that fair to say? Or, or is this a situation where this is still one where we could see a lot more downside? Uh, well, look, I, I don't know what the market is going to do, but all I can tell you is all of these things are known and they are, they're reflected in the stock price. So until we see right now, companies are going to be reporting earnings. Are we going to see numbers come down? Are we going to see anything unexpected? But everything we know is in the market. And this is what the market has done. It rallied 10% from a low of 25%. So I think it's very perspective. I think it's also interesting what the Fed is planning to do. The Fed is saying that they think inflation is going to come down. Not sure if they're, they're right or wrong, but I think the market is saying, hey, maybe things aren't so bad. And, you know, over the course of the last month, Kate, there's been very clear leadership with regard to where people decided to buy the dip, so to speak, during the the, the recent weakness. It's pretty much mega cap tech and consumer discretionary and and communication services. Is that where you'd put the money right now? Are those your top picks? No, I would put my money in Europe. Okay, one thing that we're not talking about is a euro dollar parity. Now is a great time to go to Europe, take that trip to Europe. And now is going to be a great time for European exporters. They are going to be facing tailwinds as U.S. exporters are going to be facing headwinds. So a couple of ideas if we have time. Unilever, I think, looks interesting here. It's boring. 52 billion market cap, uh, 125 billion market cap yields 4%. They sell everyday products. Recession, eh, I don't think it's going to affect it much. Dove, Hellman's, Lipton, Ben & Jerry's. You're always going to buy your Ben and Jerry's. The company is trading around a PE of about 20 times. It's done horribly, underperformed both IFA and the S&P, but it's a great place to hide. Okay. Unilever, a top bit from Kate Faddis over there, trying to play that Euro-dollar parity. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. When we come back on the show, new details on the snarled global supply chain and why falling demand in certain sectors is not leading to falling prices. Plus... Why shares of Pinterest are surging despite a top and bottom line miss for its most recent quarter. It's up 19 percent pre-market. And then later on, the crypto crisis gets turned up to the 11 level as the SEC cracks down on a more than a 300 million dollar global Ponzi. Yeah, a Ponzi scheme. The details and the likely next domino to fall. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Real-time trade data is showing a decrease in consumer demand, but prices for containers traveling to the East Coast from China and Europe are either holding steady or continuing to go up in price. CNBC senior editor Lorianne Larocco is here now with exclusive data on what's behind that trend. So, Lorianne, why the disconnect? If we have lower consumer demand, why are consumer shipping containers still going up in price? It's a fantastic question. Well, normally, as you know, container prices drop as demand falls. And here's a chart from Freightways, which shows this decline. This is future container bookings bound for the United States. But rates are not dropping. So the East Coast congestion is actually creating a floor in the pricing, and it's around the high $9,000 range because the congestion, Dom, takes these boxes out of the supply for future use, creating a decrease in supply. And so the U.S. supply chain heat map shows you this congestion. The average wait time for vessels at the Port of Savannah is up 123 percent compared to the last quarter. And breaking news, the Port of New York and New Jersey is implementing a $100 long-dwell container charge for any container waiting at the port. They're also requiring ocean carriers to bring back more containers than they are importing in. And the trucker protests at the port of Oakland has crippled container processing. The wait time for import containers has almost doubled in one week, excuse me, to around 27 days. It's going to take weeks for this backlog to be cleared. All of this congestion is impacting vessel schedules and ocean carriers are canceling sailings out of China. Now over to Europe, the congestion is growing on the, the heat map. Hamburg has flipped from yellow to red in the last few days. And as a result, the congestion rates from Europe are over $8,400 a container to the United States. Now, Britain is now a region you got to keep an eye on. There will be rolling labor strikes this month at the ports and at the rails. One of the main points of the negotiation, wage increases to compensate for inflation. Now, remember, Dom, logistic prices is the one inflation trigger the Fed has no control over. And it is also the cost that is passed on to the consumer. So, so, so Lorianne, OK, you've explained the trade system <clears throat> As in before, as a series of these pipes, right, the bandwidth of the kind of the pipes that are needed here. If this is a congestion issue, how is the congestion impacting the return route to China, given that container dynamic that you just explained? And if, is that going to have an effect on what's going to happen with pricing? It definitely has. And here's why. So it slows down the arrival of those vessels to go back to get filled up. And so it throws off the container arrivals back to the United States. And so ocean carriers, to kind of keep up with the speed, so to speak, are canceling in response. And 12 percent of Shanghai's available sailings for this month have been canceled. And so these cancellations set a floor in the freight rate because of the decrease in the availability of vessel space. So logistics companies are warning clients about the vessel delays in the port of Shenzhen, a key port for both Apple and Foxconn. And they're also flagging increased COVID cases in Shanghai and in northern China, which is restricting drivers. And any facilities that have one positive case will be locked down from two to seven days. And so this also slows down the manufacturing of both exports and the products. 
So it looks like there could be some supply chain issues even heading into this holiday shopping season as well. Lorianne, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Still on deck for the show, Twitter building out its legal arsenal against Elon Musk, reportedly reaching out to close friends, confidants and high profile investors for possibly damning information on the Tesla CEO and founder. We've got that full story coming up ahead. Today's big number, $1.28 billion. Not so much money the state of Nevada collected in gambling revenue from casinos in June, according to the Nevada Gaming Control Board. That's up 22.7% from pre-pandemic levels and the 16th straight month to top the billion-dollar mark, a state record. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. We've got three stock stories of the morning for you. First up is Zoom Info, the business software maker's second quarter results topping analyst forecasts thanks to strong international growth. The company is also raising revenue guidance for the third quarter and the full year. Those shares are up nearly 12% right now. Zoom Info. Not the other Zoom. Stock number two is Avis Budget Group, the rental car company reporting second quarter earnings that easily topped analyst expectations. Revenue is also beating forecasts. The firm says cost cuts and fleet management really helped drive some of those results. So those Avis Budget shares up five and a half percent in the pre-market. And then stock number three is Arista Networks. Second quarter earnings came in above analyst estimates and the networking company posted its first billion-dollar quarter in revenues. Arista also giving strong third-quarter guidance as well, all of that resulting in those shares up 5% in the pre-market trade. Straight ahead on the show, why new investor attention on Pinterest is not changing my next guest's outlook for the entire stock picture. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or or other podcast apps. This is Worldwide Exchange in audio format. Podcasts. We'll be right back. Is it Turnaround Tuesday? It's not taking shape right now after markets kick off the new trading month with a whimper. Taiwan tensions and earnings topping investors' radars for sure. Futures are pointing, as you can see, to a lower open. On Capitol Hill, the race is on to try to get that massive Schumer Mansion spending package approved before Congress leaves town on break. But key votes remaining in question as Democrats try to land what they can see as a legislative victory. And then a crypto crackdown. 
Federal regulators filing charges over an alleged multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme. But it may only be the beginning. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Tuesday morning. It's right around 528 a.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast, just outside New York City. Here's how stock futures are looking. We are at poise for a lower open. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 145 points. The S&P down by 27. And the Nasdaq, tech heavier side of things, down by about 101 if these futures moves hold into the opening bell for cash equities trading. In the bond market, yields are moving lower as well as there is a bid for the safety and the government security of U.S. bonds. Ten-year Treasury note yields just about 2.5%, 2.55 the last trade there. The two-year note yield just a hair above 2.85%. So we'll check that trade out for sure. And then on energy prices, maybe no shock there. Falling as well again. You're seeing WTI crude U.S. benchmark prices, $93.59. That's about a one-third of 1% decline. That's good relative to what we've seen in the last couple of days. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $99.52, off by about 51 cents right now. That's about a half of 1% declines. Natural gas, $8.11, down by about 2%. Let's get a check on some of your top stories this morning. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Well, Dom, Twitter is reportedly probing the social circle of Elon Musk as part of its legal fight over the Tesla CEO's attempt to drop his $44 billion takeover bid of the social media company. According to The Washington Post, Twitter has subpoenaed information from elite Silicon Valley investors, including Mark Andreessen, Jason Calacanis, Chamath Palihapitiya, David Sachs, and Steve Jurvetson. As the paper points out, some of those subpoenaed have not been previously named as having any involvement in the deal, suggesting Twitter is going as deep as it, as it can for information to support its legal attempt to force Musk to go through with his deal to buy the company. In deal news, TD Bank is reportedly close to an agreement to buy investment bank Cowan. According to the reports, the two sides are in advanced talks in what could be a more than $1 billion deal. An announcement could come as soon as today. Cowan shares jumping on the news. And Instagram's chief is reportedly relocating across the Atlantic. According to the Financial Times, Adam Masseri is moving to London later this year and focus on building out Instagram's presence there by hiring more staff to work at parent company Meta's new offices in the city. As the FT points out, London is Meta's biggest engineering hub outside of the U.S., and Dom, the paper adds that while the sources say the move is temporary and partly driven by Masseri's desire to live in London, the plan is also a cost-saving measure as engineers in the U.K. are up to three times cheaper than in San Francisco. Sounds like a deal. All right. Economics drive a lot of yep. those decisions. Silvana exactly. Hanel, thank you very much for you those headlines. It, Senate Democrats are waiting for a ruling from the chamber's parliamentarian on whether they can override normal rules to pass a $430 billion tax, drugs, and energy bill. Under, under this reconciliation procedure they're hoping to use, Democrats would only need a simple majority instead of the 60 votes necessary to pass the bill. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer plans to begin debate this week ahead of Congress's August recess. Still unknown, though, whether Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema will lend her support to this proposed legislation. Let's talk more about this now with Isaac Boltanski, Director of Policy Research 
over at BTIG. I, I mean, Isaac, this is a scenario that was, I mean, maybe not a surprise because they've been talking about this legislation for a while. But it kind of came as a surprise when Senator Joe Manchin proposed a deal and got one done with Chuck Schumer. What exactly does this say about the dynamic right now in Washington with regard to getting legislation done? Yeah, everything Schoolhouse Rocks taught us about how a bill becomes a law is apparently a lie, Tom. I mean, in reality, it was closer to that old adage that things in D.C. are impossible right up until the point that they're inevitable. And so what we have here is what amounts to a shocking surprise uh, that the, that a deal was broached, but even more so that two U.S. senators were able to keep a secret for this long in what was a pretty neat gambit to uh, get the Chips Plus deal past Senate Republicans just a few days ago, and then announce this deal shortly thereafter and put it on this fast track in an attempt to get it through the Senate over the next week or so. So, so, so I mean, Senator Manchin had been kind of the, the main... Uh, lightning rod or the, the, the main face of the, the opposition within the Democratic ranks for, for a good while. It's not that we had forgotten about Senator Cinema. Kirsten Cinema is now very important. They need every single Democratic vote to get this done. What exactly is probably likely going through Senator Cinema's mind right now with regard to whether she is going to lend her support for this bill? Yeah, look, I think that we always viewed Manchin as a higher hurdle in large part because he was willing to engage more with the press, right? He was willing to give uh, more quotes and more commentary regarding the negotiations. But Senator Sinema from Arizona is another hurdle that has to be cleared. And I'm telling my clients, there are basically three S's that we need to be worried about. The first is sickness. Let's keep in mind, Democrats haven't had all 50 of their members present throughout the entire month of July because Senator Leahy got a hip replacement and six of their members have tested positive for COVID in just the last month. So number one is sickness. Number two is the SALT Brigade, whether it's Senator Menendez up in the Senate or Congressman Gottheimer in the House, the exclusion of a change to the deduction on state and local taxes is going to be an issue that we have to watch and see whether that changes things. The last hurdle is, as you mentioned, Senator Sinema. My sense is that the odds are still in favor of her supporting uh, this bill. I think it's going to be exceedingly difficult for her to have her John McCain thumbs down moment over this bill, given that there are numerous provisions in here that she clearly supports. But I'm going to be watching what's called the Votorama that's a part of this, where um, you're playing with live ammo because Republicans are going to force tough votes on very targeted amendments where you could see Senator Sinema say, yeah, I support um, pulling back on the proposed change to carried interest, for example, or I support uh, hardening the line on immigration with something called Title 42. So this will be an incredibly consequential votorama that's going to happen probably at the end of this week or beginning of next. All right. And, and, and before I leave this topic here, both of these senators mentioned and cinema and the entire party, I guess, for the Democrats and Republicans are well are, are all jockeying ahead of midterms right now. Not everybody is up for election, but there are a lot of optics at play. What exactly would have to happen for either side here for them to consider this a victory? You know, look, I, I will tell you, based on my conversations here in D.C., most Democrats realize that this cake is baked for the midterms and the House is almost certainly going to flip. 
we can debate whether Republicans are going to have a, a huge uh, midterms where they have 40 plus uh, seat swing or whether it's going to be closer to 20, which is my base case. But let's keep in mind, Democrats currently have a four seat majority. That's going to probably go to three seats after a special election next week. And so the House is flipping. I don't know what the Senate's going to do. I don't think anyone does. But, Dom, it's important to highlight the odds overwhelmingly are in favor of divided government next year, no matter what happens with this bill. And so that's the message to clients that we should start seizing on themes around that divided government scenario that's highly likely for next year. All right, Isaac, we just got a few moments left here. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about China and Taiwan. Anything we should be worried about there? Yeah, everything. I don't think anyone, whether it's here or in Beijing, really knows what's next. But I think it serves as another reminder that we are not going to have geopolitical tensions thaw anytime soon, which has real implications for trade policy and other investment related dynamics between uh, China and, and the U.S. All right. Isaac Boltanski, BTIG, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right. The SEC yesterday charged 11 people for their roles in creating a, and promoting a crypto-fueled pyramid and Ponzi scheme, allegedly, that raised upwards of $300 million from retail investors around the world. But this criminal crackdown could just be the latest domino to fall in an industry already rocked by crisis. CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos joins me now in studio. Mackenzie, what are we learning about this alleged Ponzi scheme? It's a lot of money. We've heard that word tossed around a lot with crypto. What exactly makes this case a little bit more telling about what's happening? Good morning, Dom. So, yes, we have heard those terms, Ponzi and pyramid scheme, used a lot in the last few months in the crypto sector. And when it comes to your question specifically, most recently, the SEC zeroed in on a platform called Forsage. Now, the, le- the regulator is literally calling this a textbook case of this kind of fraud, Forsage allowed millions of retail investors to enter into transactions through smart contracts. But under the hood, the SEC says that investors were only earning profits by recruiting others into the operation. Regulators say fraudsters cannot circumvent federal securities laws by focusing their schemes on smart contracts and blockchains. Keep in mind, this isn't an isolated case. Celsius, once a titan of the crypto lending world, is now in bankruptcy court and being accused of running a Ponzi scheme. A lawsuit by a former investment manager alleges that Celsius was offering over 18 percent annual returns as a tactic to lure in new depositors in order to pay out old ones. So at the very least, a lot of allegations are flying around right now. So so you mentioned, Mackenzie, I mean, Forsage, you've got Celsius. There was also Three Arrows, which is one of the major hedge funds that that kind of dealt in this crypto sphere. Uh, does the list end there? Because it seems like those are three very big catalysts microeconomically for a sector right now, but three of the biggest names in there. Yeah, no, the, the list does not end there. Uh, crypto brokerage Voyager Digital filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the Southern District of New York earlier this month. They have a hearing on Thursday that I'm going to be monitoring. I'm sure a lot of its customers will as well. In its filing, Voyager estimated that it had more than 100,000 creditors and between $1 billion and $10 billion in assets as well as liabilities of the same value. The CEO says that after the company goes through these proceedings, customers could potentially get some of their money back. So a lot of those users are hoping to get clarity on next steps. All right, wait, 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 wait a second. So this is 100,000 is a staggering number right. of, of, of potential clients 
Can, is there any indication about how many of those clients were, say, retail folks like you and I, as opposed to institutions, the, the households, the mom and pops, so to speak? And then what about Celsius? And then, uh, of course, Voyager, both of those names had attracted retail interest. Yeah, absolutely. So Voyager and Celsius both were major names in terms of retail traders using them because they offered these high interest rates on crypto deposits. As of March, Voyager said it had signed up more than 3.5 million users. Meanwhile, Celsius had 1.7 million customers as of June. With both now in bankruptcy court, some customers have written to the Southern District of New York directly to plead their case. And in some of these letters that are formally on the court record, many customers say they felt that Celsius had lied to them during the CEO's weekly Ask Me Anything events on YouTube, in which Alex Mashinsky said that Celsius was better than a bank, it was safer, and offered greater returns. In the case of Voyager, customers said they were led to believe that their deposits were FDIC insured, which, as we know, they were not. So we're entering into this new territory where U.S. bankruptcy code is going to get into the weeds of crypto and, Dom, potentially set new precedent. It has to be because we've not seen anything like this before, for sure. Mackenzie Sagalos, thank you very much, Mac. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Coming up on the show, shares of Pinterest are taking off despite missing on the top and bottom lines. We dive into what's fueling the surge for Pinterest despite the disappointments and how it and some of the other former stay-at-home plays are stacking up this earnings season. Keep it right here. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment with Pinterest shares, by the way, up 19% right now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for this morning's biggest money mover. Shares of Pinterest soaring ahead of the opening bell. Currently up, you can see there, 19%. This is all despite reporting a miss. Yes, a miss for profits and a miss for revenues as well for its second quarter. It also, by the way, issued weak guidance for the current quarter as well. But better than expected user numbers and word that investment firm Elliott Management, the activist hedge fund, its social media is the company's largest investor now helping to fuel that stock surge. Pinterest is trying to buck the trend of other stay-at-home plays that have been hit hard over the course of this past year. Think about Zoom Video, think about Peloton, think about Roku, Etsy, all down between 40 and 70-plus percent just on a year-to-date basis. So joining me now is Lloyd Walmsley, an analyst over at UBS, covers many of these names. Uh, uh, Lloyd, there are many potential catalysts for a stock surge like this. The fundamentals maybe don't justify it. How much is the activist involvement and how much is, say, something like the short interest in the stock going into this factoring into the big surge that we're seeing in Pinterest? Yeah, I think you put your finger on it. It's really about uh, positioning and expectations, right? You've you've seen Snap had to cut their guidance uh, a month after getting it and then missed it again. Uh, with, With Pinterest last night, they almost hit their April guidance. And so expectations had gotten extremely low for this stock. And so they beat low expectations. Uh, positioning was very net short. And so you're basically getting a squeeze here. Uh, the numbers were uh, demonstrably better than any conversation we had with investors, but they're not good on any, any absolute basis. The company is still seeing growth uh, slow you know, quite a bit. And, uh, and so it's a tough, it's, it's a tough environment for everyone, but clearly better than people feared after watching what happened to snap and and Twitter for that matter. I mean, okay. So I mean, Lloyd, this is a stock that over the course of the past 12 months, one year 
has lost pretty much two-thirds of its value. Now, that's not unheard of because many other companies in social and communication services have seen similar moves. But is this 19% jump one that you would want to maybe believe in a little bit more for Pinterest? Are there the fundamentals that you saw in the report that would say, hey, maybe this is a turning point as opposed to, oh, maybe just a, a bounce given a short squeeze? Yeah, so I, I think there are some indications that things are stabilizing, right? They've been seeing their user growth uh, decline coming out of the pandemic uh, for the last several quarters. You did see sequential stability. They guided to what was effectively slightly better. So I think that is important. You're also looking at a new CEO taking the helm, Bill Reddy. There's a lot of excitement about Bill coming into the company. The guy has an incredible background, both at PayPal and, and in a, a very senior position at Google. He was in charge of Google Shopping, turned, turned Google Shopping around effectively, and now he's stepping into uh, Pinterest, where that has been a core part of the story, but it's been lagging. And so there, there are a lot of reasons to be excited. Uh, you know, we're neutral rated on the stock. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's mild upside to the stock, but not enough to get us that excited uh, until we see more proof points. Okay, so Lloyd, I, 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 it's a hold. You're neutral on this. In your coverage universe, you cover many of these tech slash consumer discretionary slash communication services type names, many of the mega cap ones out there. What then is the buy fundamentally? Which one is, is better than Pinterest? Amazon is our favorite right now. And uh, what, what we've seen with Amazon is they're just now getting through the toughest comps from, from the pandemic. And so your optical headline growth is getting back to a very attractive uh, growth rate. And then they, they've overbuilt on supply, on capacity and supply. They're now taking that out of the system. And so the margins are going to start to look significantly better, we think, uh, going forward for Amazon. So that that's one uh, that feels like uh, they've gotten through the hardest part of, of, of the post-pandemic era and they're, they're getting back towards a normalized, uh, a normalized environment where they can start to show uh, much better profit growth. All right. Lloyd Walmsley says Amazon over Pinterest. Lloyd, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, Truist Advisories' Keith Lerner lays out the renewed headwinds once again facing the markets overall and just how much room, he says, the S&P still has left to run for this year. And as a reminder... Join us, please, virtually for the CNBC Small Business Playbook tomorrow, August 3rd, Wednesday. You're going to get insight and advice from top experts on how businesses can hedge against things like inflation, also supply chain disruptions, labor challenges, and more. To sign up, just scan the QR code on your screen right there or go to CNBCEvents.com. And by the way, I'm, in, I'm, I'm interviewing Macklemore about his small business, about golf, Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As you can see here, it's a very busy kind of day ahead for the markets. On the economic front, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, we get our latest look at the employment picture with the release of the JOLTS report. That comes ahead of Friday's big monthly jobs report from the Labor Department. We also get a look at light vehicle sales for July. We've got two Fed heads speaking today at 10 a.m. It's Chicago Fed President Charles Evans. And then tonight, it's St. Louis Fed President James Bullard. And a number of high-profile earnings reports out today, including 
Caterpillar, Advanced Micro Devices, Airbnb, Starbucks, Uber, just those amongst others. So a very busy day. Now, on the market side of things, if you take a look at a one-year chart of the S&P 500, you've seen what we've all seen over the course of the last couple of weeks here. A nice 13% move higher off the lows in the S&P, as folks have said, you know what, maybe this is the bottoming process taking place. Maybe this is the time that we shall dip our toes in. Now, if you look at the narrative from a sector side of things, it's been interesting that the three sectors that have done a lot of the heavy lifting have been consumer discretionary, think Amazon and Tesla, then technology, maybe no surprise there, but then energy. Look how far behind energy is. If there's an economic narrative about a bounce back, Maybe it's just not energy this time around. Maybe it's back to consumer discretionary. For more, let's bring in Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer over at Truist Advisory Services. Uh, Keith, why the renewed interest in technology, discretionary, and maybe comm services to a certain degree? Are we just going back to the same playbook we've had for the last 12, 13 years? Well, first, Dominic, great to be with you, even though we're seeing some red on the board this morning. You know, I think with um, with growth sectors in general, we have seen an improvement. And I think that's a reflection of slowing global economic growth. Earlier this year, we had slowing economic growth, but we had higher interest rates. Now we have slowing economic growth and low interest rates and inflation expectations are moving down. So I think what you're seeing, Dominic, is a rotation back to growth. So you're right, the old playbook, that is that growth is going to become more scarce. And when growth is scarce, people look for companies that can provide earning stability and that's benefiting the, uh, the overall growth sectors. I will tell you, Dominic, we were underweight technology most of this year. A few weeks ago, before some of those big earnings surprises last week, we upgraded the sector to a neutral um, and that's where we stand today. So is, is this a situation, Keith, where investors should feel more comfortable from the mega cap tech and comm services side of things because they are better positioned to weather a potential downturn, a scenario where Treasury yields have now fallen from 3.5 percent almost all the way almost down to 2.5 percent at this point? Is a recession now the overriding narrative? I think so, but Dominic, you know, I think there's an important distinction. We are still underway uh, communication services. If you look at that sector, it's making new relative lows. It did so yesterday. Technology or the S&P technology sector is actually moving high. And I think there's a difference that's important there because the technology sector has some of these bigger um, consumer and business names that are holding up somewhat better. So we would we would focus more there. And, and again, this is a relative call. You know, we came out on Friday, you know, after saying around the June lows that we would not be selling this market, that it was very oversold. We were saying that it's time in our view for folks that are overallocated to equities to start trimming back. But on a relative basis, we think tech will hold up somewhat better because of what you just laid out. What, what exactly is, is I mean, we, we, we spent a good amount of this show now, Keith, talking about this idea that there are geopolitical risks out there. We, we just named a number of potential catalysts on the economic front that could change the narrative overall. What's your feeling with regard to whether or not this environment is one that is still constructive? You, you mentioned the relative overweights that you have. But can people mm-hmm. still feel good about putting money in this market right now, given China and Taiwan, given what's still happening with Russia and Ukraine, given oil prices, given recession narratives, inflation and everything else? Yeah, well, I think a lot of this is about time frame. You know, for investors over like, you know, a three, four, five year time period, putting some money makes sense. But again, from a shorter term standpoint, we've actually been recommending trimming positions starting on Friday because we just think the risk reward is not compelling anymore, uh, Don. You know, one thing that's, that, that we have to remember is 
all this global tightening, you know, the Fed just started raising rates in March, works with a lag. So there's a lot of debate whether we're in recession or not. I think the more important question or is that, or really what we think is the answer is that economic growth will be slowing. And we think upside from here is probably capped in about the three to 5% uh, level. And we think there's actually the, the downside actually sees that. So we don't think this is a time to be aggressive. And we're still more defensively positioned overall in our portfolios. All right. Keith Lerner at Truist Wealth. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thanks, Dominic. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointing to losses at the opening bell. Modest ones. We'll keep an eye on that. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.